0: We're interviewing Dr. DeVito in our podcast, and it's a special treat because he has a different way of looking at things than any other doctor
1: we know. Yeah, and we've known him for several years now, and one of the reasons we really like Dr. DeVito and his practice is because he doesn't just diagnose and throw meds and tell you what to do. He really looks to uncover what's underneath the issues. Right. And just like us we like to really probe and find out you know looking at habits and stories and lifestyle and we're really aligned that way
0: yeah definitely and he also understands that a huge part of our health has to be our mindset and so this podcast is one of our longer interviews and it's not just something you can kind of have on in the background so we're urging you to set aside time Where you can actually sit and really listen to what he says. This can be your guided meditation, this podcast. Yeah.
1: We're so happy today to be together with our doctor, Dr. Mark (laughs) DeVito. And uh, I wanted to start out with a story, and I hope I'm telling this story right. When we first met you, and we were talking about your history, you said uh, as a middle child, you didn't know whether or not you wanted to go into Eastern or Western medicine, so you did both. And then you didn't know whether you wanted to be an adult practitioner or a child practitioner, so you did both, right? So... And we love this. It's
2: different be- to hear it from somebody else, but yes. Uh, <laughs> well, and I think
1: happened. this yeah. this is indeed one of the things that we love about you is because you've got this uh, real passion about continued knowledge, continued growth, because we believe that the industry itself of medicine and nutrition just keeps, I mean, they're, we're just like babies, right, in the discovery. And mm-hmm. so we really like that about you. Uh, about you, and that you don't just turn to medicine; you turn to the life and the nutrition, and that's where you started, right? Nutrition.
2: Yeah, yeah actually, yeah, all the way in my early twenties. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So tell us about tell us about that tell journey. Us
0: that. Like, tell us about the the evolution of Dr. Mark Devito. Okay.
2: <laughs> the evolution. Huh? Yeah. Um, it's it's well, I would say when I left for college, um, I had an interest in Eastern philosophy and Eastern medicine. And after college, I, um, I was not able to get into medical school initially and realized that, you know, what may separate me from others who were applying was to have some other background in another area of, of healthcare or medicine. And I had the interest in, in nutrition. And so that, you know, that opportunity came to be and I learned about nutrition which was really in its infancy kind of uh, um, in terms of functional medicine started in the 80s. So I was learning that somewhere in the in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and I think that allowed me to then go to medical school in my mid-20s. And when I came out, I recognized that, well, okay, I now learned the acute care uh, Western version and I had – been exposed to the eastern medicine and the nutritional approach, which was not something that you'd learn a whole lot in medical school, and and thought, okay, well, you know, rather than throw the baby out with the bathwater, I will take both and and somehow find a way to manifest both within the practice.
0: So... And you got board certified in both internal medicine and pediatrics.
2: Right. So, so when, I, when I completed medical school, really by your third year, you've got to start applying for residency. Right. And at that point, most medical students know that the way to determine what you want to do is to eliminate the things you know you don't want to do. Uh, so right. I didn't want to do surgery and I didn't want to do uh, obstetrics and gynecology and I didn't want to do psychiatry. And so it kind of left internal medicine and pediatrics. And I was not even aware until my fourth year of medical school that I could do both, that there ah. was actually a hundred different hospitals in the United States that allowed you to train in both. So I thought, okay, I was going to have to choose one or the other and, you know, serendipity uh, occurred. And I, I trained in Maimonides hospital in Brooklyn and they all, they're one of the hospitals that used to offer medPeds, ah. which was training in internal medicine and pediatrics. And so I said, wow, this seems like a, Good way of not having to make a decision. <laughs> yes, no. Check that off. Right. right. So, so, well, but I, I knew I liked both areas. Um, and I had also understood that family practice, which gives you some training in medicine, internal medicine and pediatrics, also subdivides it into additional other areas, right. surgery and psychiatry and OBGYN. And I really didn't want to dilute the medicine and the pediatrics, knowing that I probably wouldn't be in an area to practice OBGYN. If you're more rural and family practice, you know, you know, plays a little bit more of a role there. Right. I, I did the MedPeds residency, which was four years, um, and you basically um, was perfect for the for the warped middle child. There was three months of internal medicine and then three minutes of three months of pediatrics and back and forth oh, for four years. So okay. you hop back and forth. Right. And over time, you start to see that you know it really meshes, obviously quite. Uh, quite nicely for the pediatric population when they're older. Right. And quite nicely for the younger adult who really has some or carries some pediatric diagnoses into adulthood. Right. And so that kind of chronic ma- care model was already instilled, at least in the disease mindset. Right. And then finishing and realizing that, okay, you know what, I could actually incorporate the nutrition here and learn more about that and add it into the. Global approach of kind of you know, womb to tomb, as it's called in, in, in med pieces, <laughs> uh, or birth to death, to be even more right. uh, yeah. morbid. Uh, but but that's kind of the motif, and, right. and so coming back into the nutrition and learning more about Eastern medicine helped uh, to kind of put all that together. So I, I spent basically a year uh, in a large practice when I finished residency, and then uh, subsequent to that, when my mom was ill and and passed away. Um, I you know, kind of had that awakening at that moment to say, you know what, okay, if I'm going to do this, do this now. And, and that's that was 2008 that I started my practice. So it was, right here, you know, yeah. It's almost 12 years ago now. Yeah, so, so that's yeah. how long yeah. I've
0: known you. Yeah. 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 yeah, right from the beginning. <laughs> that's right, Very right, right. beginning. Yeah. 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 And the, so, reason, the reason I sought you out or found you was because there's no doctor like you around here, at the, especially at the time. I was looking for a doctor that wasn't just an md based on disease care or you know medicine that kind of thing i wanted a holistic doctor someone that was going to look at preventative stuff and to to look at me as a whole person instead of and my kids as whole people instead of just what's wrong with you or you're sick let's give you medicine and that's why i found you and i was the leader of the holistic moms at the time and i said hey everybody guess who i found
2: So, I got busy, yeah, then you got very busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But that's how unique you were then, 12 years ago. And mm-hmm. I mean, in a sense, you're still somewhat and you, you're definitely you as a person are unique for sure. <laughs> but your
2: practice it could be is good or bad. But
0: yeah. Your practice cool. is still somewhat unique. We have more yeah. functional medicine, more holistic minded medicine around, but still, you take an approach that I don't think any other doctor does in our area. So. So we appreciate that. Um, We do. Thanks. Yeah. And um, so I guess maybe I should ask you, that's one of my questions that I have for you. How do you see yourself as different from other doctors?
2: I think like many, many areas, you know, when you're practicing a certain uh, way, at least in, in, in the medicine aspect, you start to see repetition. With patients and you, you know, not only do you see it in disease states and that's part of where your trained mind says, OK, when I see mm-hmm. this particular, uh, you know, behavior, dietary wise, you know, lack of physical exercise. OK, I've got to be thinking about diabetes. And when I find those markers, OK, I can now troubleshoot that. And um, I don't think it's very different in any industry, but certainly in, in medicine, the more experience I have able to. Cultivate through seeing hundreds and hundreds of patients now in the last 12 years. Um, I think over time rather than just Looking at the diet exercise Sleep uh, model, which is you know still quite integrative Mm -hmm. um, I have really become more comfortable with the psycho-emotional social aspect um, of care and probably um, you know even more recently seeing uh, that there are there are somewhat of, of kind of dams in the road or crossroads where no matter how much I have tried and have been able to guide patients to make shifts in their dietary changes, their exercise habits or lack thereof, lack thereof and even the sleep hygiene, there is still a block at some point. And I have this kind of saying, you know, with many patients that, you know, beyond about eighty percent or so of doing the right thing for your diet, exercise, and sleep, uh, if things aren't improving both in your subjective, you know, clinical experience or you know, true subjective experience, and we're not seeing anything change objectively in the biochemistry, then we're likely missing the other piece, which is in the psycho-emotional, so you know, social aspect, mm-hmm. and and that really has shifted the practice. I think. I had been doing that a lot over the years, but I think that particular skill and that particular willingness you know, to face that uh, in my own life and then be able to see that in others has really um, allowed me to uh, stay kind of at the cutting edge of where true holistic care mm-hmm. you know, is right now. And, I, and I'd like to think that many other practitioners in the area are trying to do that the challenge on the physician side is is the time constraint, right. the insurance Absolutely. ramifications, and yeah, yeah. and amongst the practitioners who are who have right. stepped outside of insurance, who are doing some level of uh, an integrative practice. I, I think it, everybody's going to hit that same point if they're not already doing so. And I just don't know, you know, many in the area, but right. I, I do think that that's part of right. what it will unfold for every practitioner, regardless of you know letters after their name, right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure. You just named all of our five foundations, by the way. Which is <laughs> yes, you
1: did. I Bravo. Know. <laughs> I know. Good I, 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 well,
2: it's funny. I I did not read that aspect until earlier today. Um, to be honest, uh, that that those were the pillars. You know that you guys have kind of yeah. set your entire intention. You know with with nourish, and so. When I read through them all, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, there it is: mind, body, you know, sleep." Yeah. And I put a big asterisk on the sleep myself, and yeah. I think yes. you guys do as well. Right? Yes. And then the psycho-emotional-social. Yeah. Uh, you guys called it connect, connectedness, or yep. connect.
0: Right. Connection. So right. connection, so connection and mindfulness. And, uh, yeah. 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 And yeah. mindfulness, which Mindset. so so that, yeah. that
2: psycho-emotional. Exactly. You know, awareness, Absolutely. and and I think, uh, no matter how much, and and I would say I'll go backwards a little bit is that. The crossroads I had personally were that despite all of the changes I made in the practice to have more time to speak to see patients and to and to listen to the stories and to really quote unquote think outside the box for their care to make it integrative, I did not feel that I would use the word partly because of some of the the challenges in the in the meaning of it. But in using the word holistic practitioner mm-hmm, right. until more recently, because until I looked more in the mirror at the psychoemotional aspect of my own health and my own life, it was not very easy to connect, you know, and guide patients uh, to hear or see their own, which, which is right there in front of you. Yeah. You know, if you're not hearing your own, it's hard to hear another. So sure. that, that shifted a lot for me. And I think the visits have now been predicated on that because most of the patients that have been with me for a long time, you know, or know me for a long time, know that we, are, we have been so steadfast on the, the, the physical, you know, on the dietary, on right. the exercise and on the sleep. And we, we go into the psycho-emotional. But for me, it's always been, okay, well, you know, do you have a psychologist, you know, okay, do you, or do you have a psychiatrist, or, you know, what are you doing, you know, okay, I'm doing some yoga, I'm doing some meditation, okay, that's good, you know, and not really being able to truly embrace that, and then address that if even that is being done, and there still seems to be some, um, some kind of stickiness or hold up in the improvement of their health. Right. And that's, you know, that's been... That's been the beauty, yeah, you know, because the, the the experience for me as a physician now and as as a, as a human has been a lot more enjoyable, a lot less exhausting, um, and I think that's a huge part of burnout uh, amongst practitioners. You know, aside from the time, is is that even if you have the time and you're not you're not facing that aspect of it yourself, it's very difficult to find a way to make more time to answer some of those questions or help somebody else in, in that light. Right. And then it just becomes more frustrating.
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: And then it's a lot of finger pointing, unfortunately, or I wish this if I had that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, unpacking all of that really t- does take a lot of time. And I think our society has been uh, brought up with quick fixes and band-aids and we we say all the time, Debbie and I say all the time, it's simple, but it's not easy, right? To get ourselves on a new track of health and longevity. And so, yeah. And that,
0: I, yeah. And that's where I think where it gets complicated is the psychosocial. That's, you know, you can control what you eat. You can control your sleep. You can you can even control your movement. You know, all of that is, can control pretty easily, you know, and we can either do it or not do it. But getting into the mind and 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 the social part of it, so making sure you have connections, making sure that your your mind is in a good place, not so easy. Our society doesn't train us to do that very well.
2: Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a generally speaking a more wishy washy topic, um, and that's probably where for me saying that I was a holistic practitioner felt a little bit more of a of a guess as opposed to some <laughs> confidence right. um, uh, or, or some comfort, you know, in that, okay, that's what I was doing and that's what my intention has been. However, I think, you know, over the last, you know, probably over the last year or so for me, the more I'm reading and understanding the science, because as part of, to me, as part of, you know, holding, holding the hat on the head that says that I'm a, I'm a, I'm an integrative or holistic practitioner, I need to be able to explain and translate the science on the psycho-emotional and the the mindfulness to patients so that it isn't wishy-washy. So that, uh, you know, we can understand that actually there is a muscle in the mind. You know, I I just was saying it earlier today. You know, you can do physical exercise and if somebody says, okay, go lift that 150-pound weight and you say, well, I know I can't lift that. Okay. Well, how can you go lift? That? How can you lift that? Okay. Well, I can have a personal trainer, or I can go to do you know X, Y, and Z type of fitness, and I will come back, and I will be able to lift that 150 pound weight. Okay. So how do I deal with with anxiety? Mm-hmm. You know, mindfully. Well, you could go to a, psych- a psychotherapist. You could go to a psychiatrist. You could go to a psychologist. You can take CBD. You can do all these various things. But But all of those things are kind of outside of yourself. Whereas when you wanted to lift the weight, all you did was go and practice lifting the weights, and you're able to do that. Right. So there is a (laughs) science in mindfulness that has been shown, certainly more than more than the last decade now. Looking at neuropsychology and functional MRIs, looking at that when you are mindful or when you practice mindfulness, that you are actually activating the prefrontal cortex, which is the area of you know, higher thinking and emotional uh, mm. intelligence, and you are then calming the fight or flight, more primitive part of our brain. Right. And that part, and to me, at least understanding the science and being able to translate that to say, you know, there are studies looking at 10 minutes a day of guided mindfulness meditation over 30 days time starts to bleed, as a physician, I use the word bleed, translate <laughs> into the rest of your days that you're not doing mindfulness meditation, you know, formal sit down meditation. Right. You can do it in the non, uh, you know, meditative part of your day to the point of which eventually you come to the insight that there is no difference yes. between one and the other. And that, that when you can explain it, that there is a science to that and that it requires practice. Okay, well now you've got, you've got the, the ears up. Right? And people will say, okay, well, well, how do I do that? Okay, well, I think this is what's out there now. You've got Calm and Headspace and 10% Happier app and Waking Up, and there's a whole bunch of these apps that are helping you to guide through mm-hmm. the meditation. So for me, at least with patients, we talk about, well, the, the method and the suggestion is to try and pick around the same time of day, mm-hmm. commit to the 10 minutes. You don't need to have more commitment than the ten minutes a day. If you start there, that's everybody's got ten minutes Everybody. an hour. Absolutely, nobody's got an hour. Right. ten yeah. minutes. Everybody's Everybody. got ten minutes. That's right. Even if it's after all the kids are down and you, yeah. you know, and the and the, the significant others are you know are communicated with and, and you know the, the, the laundry is folded, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, you, you have the ten minutes, Absolutely. even if it puts you to sleep. It is okay. That's right. You know, you simply begin again the next time. Well,
1: and I think it's having it more, it, it's replacing the word, do I have it with, I will." Ma- I am making the time for it. Mm-hmm. So there is a choice with saying, I I make time to do this for myself. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I can show up differently for everyone, myself, and then everyone else in my life. Mm-hmm. And there's a saying, and I can't remember which um leader it is, but there's a saying that says, if you can't meditate for 10 minutes, meditate for 20. That's when Sounds you need pretty. it the, the most. So,
2: yeah. The amount of suffering that we individually go through and that we see, you know, in the world, in our own small worlds around us, you know, starting, starting with oneself to sit and acknowledge some of the thoughts and emotions and body sensations that come through us, I have found at least personally has been a lot more calming than trying to compartmentalize and control and deny and eliminate and, Mm -hmm. and push through and cognitive behaviorally tell myself it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that release has been a lot more um, uh, enjoyable in terms of the suffering has diminished and that's, that's, again, what we talked about in the subjective, you know, with any, you know, with ourselves and with any client, you know, when you when you feel that there is less suffering, it doesn't matter what's doing it. Right. And in this context, there is no side effect. So, right. You know, or although I would say the side effect might actually be you may see a shift in the world around you <laughs> yeah, and as right, you respond yeah. differently instead of, you know, react like you're on the hamster wheel. And yeah. it's it's very trying.
0: Yeah. So would you say that? In your practice over the years, what's one common denominator you see in patients that is an ongoing issue? Is there is there a common denominator? I,
2: I think the ongoing issue is is very similar for any healthcare practitioner. More and more people are getting more and more educated about what things they should or shouldn't do with the diet and exercise and sleep, and even in the psychology, you know, and, and the positive self-talk. Um, but I think the challenge is that we line all those all those things up, and then we start checking them off. That mm-hmm. I'm doing this, 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 this. Okay, why am I still not happy? Right. So Until either throw in the towel, or you push further, and you try and have more and more control. And unfortunately, you know, attempting to have control that is not to, <laughs> not able to be controlled That's is nice. the is what is exhausting, you know, at times. And I think what ultimately slows up a lot of us and we kind of go back to sleep. Yes. You know, and then we have some. Uh, God forbid, some traumatic experience that wakes us up again. And then we're reactive, you know, and so we then try and line ourselves up with, okay, now I got to get back on the wagon. I got to call Deb and Wendy. I got to get back into my, into the doctor to do my biochemistry. and, And then I'm, you know, willpowering it away. But, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, willpower is a finite amount of energy. And, you know, you can use willpower to develop momentum. And what I understand in the world of mindfulness is that, you know, willpower is required because, as you said, it's simple but not easy. The not easy part is having just enough willpower to practice. Mm-hmm. But with practice, is something that Joseph Goldstein, one of the Buddhist teachers that I've listened to on on a couple of podcasts, uh, you know, suggests that there is momentum. And as you practice, it's like riding a bike. There's momentum in learning how to actually ride the bike, and eventually. There is some level of stability. Mm-hmm. And even if you fall off the bike, so to speak, you can get back on a little bit easier. And so, um, as we said, you know, you just simply begin again yes. you know, when you've realized that again, you're falling again. off. And the self-critical add-ons start to diminish. And that's that's the insight. That's the beauty. That's the diminished suffering, right? right? It isn't the stubbing of the toe. Stubbing of the toe. Did we talk about this? <laughs> it's the stubbing of the toe, right? You stub your toe right. and it hurts. And you grab your toe. And from a scientific perspective, when you grab your toe, because that's where the pain is, you're activating um, mechanoreceptors on top of NOC receptors. So you're, you're activating pressure and the nocice, which is the pain. So you dull the pain. That's, that's all normal, right? That's a normal human response. The second stubbing of the toe is telling yourself, I should have turned on the light. It's because of this. It's because of, <laughs> I was home from work late. It's because I didn't eat. It's because right. of this. And we're perpetually living in that second stub toe, which is still manifesting in our bodies and our minds. And we are lost in that. And we are eventually going to become diseased. So the treatment isn't so much as much as as acute care mainstream medicine is amazing. If you stub your toe bad enough, you don't want somebody to tell you to go and meditate. That's right. You you need... (laughs) Treatment, you right? You may need that now <laughs> right. removed, right? You right. may need the antibiotic. You may need the topical, right. Uh, right. you know, that's warm, right. cool compress, ice, you know, et cetera. Yes. But ultimately, what do you do from there? Right. You can't just tell yourself, "I'll always leave the light on," right. or "I won't always, I won't, I won't kiss my kids, you know, in the dark, you know, at bedtime anymore." It, something is going to hit yet again to remind you that you are asleep.
0: Right. Well, you know, you bring something up here that, that's interesting. Is that this is the integrative approach where you talk about the acute care where, and you, as you have patients, you bring it, you do blood work, you look at their numbers, you see what's going on chemically in their body and so forth. You can't not do that as that's part no, of your no. practice, but that doesn't, that, that gives such a small part of who they are, which is the bigger part that you're, you've been talking about. Mm-hmm. But people expect the numbers, they want the numbers, and then it's your job to integrate it. And to prove to them that the integration is important because they're looking at the numbers as the most important thing. That's,
2: you know, that is where the magic happens. Right. That's that's where the, whereas I've heard more recently, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road Mm -hmm. because when I, I myself and the patient are comfortable that they are 80, 80, 90% doing all the right things and the biochemistry isn't changing. Mm -hmm. That's where we start making the shift to say, you know, Body into mind, but mind into body. Exactly. How Absolutely. can we now identify some of these things that are really holding you from optimizing your health, even biochemically speaking, as much as important as that might be for an individual? But I also think, you know, that saying of, I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If the biochemistry is abnormal, there's a reason for it. And if in your bag of tricks, all you have is the physical, you keep looking for it and you keep looking for it. And not only does it frustrate the patient, but as a practitioner, it becomes frustrating. And yes. that's, I also think, where part of the burnout, you know, occurs. Right. It's sure. where, for me, the frustration was occurring where I would feel certain visits would be exhausting mm. because why can't I figure out right. what to use in the bag right. of tricks here of medicine, right. Right. you know, even if it's supplementation, you know, even mm-hmm. if it's saying, hey, you know what, you don't need anything. You just need to do exercise. You need to shift your diet. Okay, what details do we need to go through there? But, you know, again, if you can't. Get out of your own way to not eat healthy because you don't have the time because it's too frustrating because you're triggered by so many things that that is a coping mechanism to deal with the asleepness, so to speak. We've got to address that. And right. I still find it's fascinatingly easier to get to that rubber meets the road when somebody you know has the time to express some of that, right. why they feel stuck and what happens in the patterns because then as you hear those patterns, right. you start to recognize, oh yeah, okay, you know, I've, I've had that pattern too. And you know, what, what would you do? How do you respond to that? Well, I don't, I just automatically eat the cookie. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so in <laughs> some way to practice, to be aware of when you're triggered, to actually not be afraid, or even if you are afraid to sit with that emotion and those mm. thoughts yeah. and let them come through you. So that you don't have to then let them go, but that you can let them be. Yeah. And there's a subtle difference even yeah. in kind of insight there, you know, where you even letting them go is a, is a personal controlled decision. Right. I can let this go now. Right. Yes. And a lot of people say that to me and it's like, well, I've already let all that go. <laughs> you don't have the option to let something go. You could let it be. That's but right. to let it go, that's kind of assuming it may come back. right? And you've let it go now. Or you've at least on the surface let it go. Mm. You know, but, uh, and, and I have found that with, with people who tell me that they feel numb. I right? mm. let it all go, but now I'm numb. Uh. Well, I don't know if you've let it go, then you're just numb. Yeah. And yeah. you know, maybe it comes out as frustration. Mm. And the frustration is really oh. the heading of underneath, this, you know, the, the layers and layers that are underneath, and you feel numb. But the only other emotion that comes through you is frustration. Mm. Now, if we can sit with the frustration, you may find that underneath that might be sadness Mm -hmm. and shame Mm -hmm. and guilt and anger and you know, and that when you can start feeling that you feel alive again. And then it allows you to be responsive and have more understanding of I have a choice. And so, you know what? I can exercise. Right. I just I was just so frustrated. I felt so numb. I didn't have the energy to do so. Right. Yeah. And it's amazing how it shifts so quickly. Yep. I snap
0: yeah. So. That idea of choice is big in our practice. Yeah. We, we talk with with clients all the time about how much choice people have that they don't think they have. And Wendy even said that at one of our last workshops. is Someone said, um, I can't exercise because I don't have time. I'm full-time, blah, blah, blah. Whatever her experience. And Wendy said, let me just stop you for a second. I want you to switch the word can't with won't. And she rephrased it and said, you're right, I won't. Because that's the choice.
1: And then Mm -hmm. when we own our choice, then we can shift it. When Mm -hmm. we just keep throwing excuses. Yeah, it's very powerful.
2: Yeah, but I heard another gem recently that when – when we are unintentionally, but but oftentimes projecting, you know, as to why we can't do something, or well, it's because this this person, you know, my my significant other mm-hmm. is working so much, and I can't, I don't have the time to do it, I just can't do it. If they only would, you know, come yes. home more, if right. they only right. would do this, um, and there's a lot of that projection, and some of it is is because there's verbal, you know, verbiage from the other person, and so instead of feeling like there is an attack on your space, if anything that you you experience as being bad if you replace that with the word suffering Mm -hmm. you start to recognize that okay this person who's saying something bad to me instead of them being bad they are suffering Right. and either i am suffering or they are suffering depending upon how i want to decide what where the root is but if i just say suffering it allows me to to kind of sit back a little bit and say oh you know Okay, I understand that just like me, I'm feeling like I'm suffering. They're, you know, reflecting back that there is suffering. And so maybe I don't attach so much to it and I don't judge and I don't react so much. I can just understand that okay, there's there's suffering going on all around me. And even if it's if it's coming from myself and you know, projecting that out, I have a little bit more opportunity to offer compassion. And compassion is a bi-directional uh, offering right. you know, comes through the self and to another First. rather than you know just empathy right. which is unidirectional you know giving of yourself for another right. which does make you feel good but it is still a an exhausting ego driven yeah. uh you know characteristic uh, and, and that was one of the awakenings i had had too you know is that i was always coming home exhausted and having to vent and the moment that i you know recognized that in myself that I was really suffering, then I was able to have a little created space there that okay, if I just offer a little bit of self-compassion through you know some level of mindfulness meditation or compassion meditation, that allowed me to be present in the visit with more energy, more humility, and and compassion where I don't feel that I am venting anymore. And and that's been, you know, relaxing. Uh, and, <laughs> and I find that, that it allows me to then, you know, again, you know, kind of see that a little bit more quickly, you know, in patients right. and hear that, and then, you know, offer a softer hand to that feeling, that feeling of suffering, even if it's coming out as anger or sadness or depression or fear it's or all numbers, suffering. All suffer- all, it's yeah. all suffering.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we, Debbie and I use that word a lot too, the suffering, but I, you, you Speak, we're speaking the same language, too, with the idea of good or bad when we attach food as good or bad or I'm good or bad because I've exercised or not or I got a bad night's sleep. It's that in, instead, you know, when we eat that food, how do we feel? And if you're yeah, suffering yeah. with that food, it's not because the food's bad. It's just that it doesn't feel right. Perfect. Right. And and there's suffering there.
2: So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's amazing how you know, the same food can can cause Stomach upset, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's very much, you know to, to, yeah. you know, to eating of the food because I just had a patient tell me, you know, I ate this particular food and I felt horrible. And the next day I'm like, I'm going to eat the same exact food and I felt fine. <laughs> like, so what was it? I'm like, well, what was it? and and there was a stressful event that yes. predated you know that's that meal right. and yes. so that meal got labeled as the unhealthy right. meal right that's, that's right you know, oh you, we've got so and many then, discoveries and then you just spin yes. into the well i can't eat this and i can't eat this and i can't eat this yeah, and can right. this that's
0: right that's right gosh we don't we don't have enough time to even go into it. all this what? could go is, i know i could go on and on and on <laughs> yeah, but, but but speaking of food let me let me lighten this up a little bit what what is your favorite indulgence
2: i would say you know, it used to be chocolate. Oh, it um, used to be. Yeah, although now I find that when I have the chocolate, I, I really enjoy the taste, but I don't find that I need as much. Ah,
0: okay. So,
2: you know, it's it's kind of that same thing. You know, you, you, you may be driven to experience the taste of something, but then there's some attachment to, you know, the next bite and the next bite and, right. the, next, <laughs> and the next, you know, batch, you know, yeah. so to speak. So, I never really was was um, indulgent in, in chocolate, but but more on the sweets, and that kind of dissipated more because of the willpower that okay, that's not good for me. Uh huh. You know, so I had the willpower to not eat it, but I would say you know over time the mindfulness has has kind of come through me more that okay, when I have something like that or I or I'm triggered to kind of want something like that, I will have it, Mind and you. I will experience the, and the chocolate and enjoy yes, it, yes. but then. After the few bites, yeah, you know, one piece is something. Like, okay, okay, that was really good. So true. That's that's it. So okay, true. and then you don't have all the add-ons. Yes, right. I mean, you get, right. it's a double. It's a win-win because you're aware, you experience the taste. You're not restricting yourself. That's right. And yes. yet, you're not adding on that I shouldn't have had another piece and another piece and another right. piece and another. Before right. you know it, has nothing to do with the chocolate. Hey, right? That's, that's, that's right. Exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. When
0: people binge, they're not being mindful in any way. You know, yeah. that's you know, the, the mindfulness comes after. <laughs> When right, they're not feeling right, well, and right, because right. they have binged, and so that that's the idea is that if you're or mindful the mindless reactivity, yes. right? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So you, it's not just you know the sweets or the things we consider indulgences that we can enjoy that way. It's any you know, it's anything if you put your mind to it you're mindful with any practice that you're doing, it becomes more enjoyable in a sense. You know, it's sort of like
1: you become more alive. It's you can't help it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we, we do in our practices uh, at the end of our sessions is talk about the one thing that they could do for themselves moving forward for the next couple of weeks and maybe the one thing that they can remove or, you know, work on. Do you have a plus one and a negative one that you'd like to share just as kind of a universal that most of us
2: um, could use? Yeah, I, I, I think that kind of um, um simply begin again phrase yeah you know because uh, we are just so self-critical mm-hmm. you know it's it's so it's so easy for many of us to be compassionate to others but to yeah. to look in the mirror and give self-compassion i find that that's been what i'm listening you know for the most you know is, is where is that void and, and how do i reach that you know at, at the end of each visit to kind of you know come to some um, awareness of that you know you know even though you may feel like you are suffering now in the moment you don't have to be and we all have those fleeting moments you know when we when we you know have some beautiful event with the significant other or with our child you know and we we feel we're instantly connected in the moment and then we just wish we could feel that way all the time <laughs> And you know, I, I at least can tell you with practice, you can you can experience that. Have I gotten to that that uh, you know expert level of it? No, but I'm but I'm simply beginning again every time I find myself asleep, and I have less self-critical thought, you know, and more okay, yeah, okay, you got me on that one. Okay, here we go. You know, there's a little humor that sometimes comes into it. Sure. And, okay, let's let's try again. Yep. So I think that's kind of the the last bit of each visit that i try and say okay well okay we have a plan and you know if at first you don't succeed you know you can still suck lemons it's okay we can we can try again you know and and i i have yet to find that that a patient has given up on themselves nor have i given up on on a patient and i think that's that's because intuitively we know there is a way we just need a little. You know, sometimes a little direction Mm -hmm. and sometimes, you know, just a little calm, a little quiet to to sit with ourselves. Yeah, sure. And the rest is, you know, is there for us.
0: Yeah. 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 So, if you had to choose one mantra for your life, what would you say it is?
2: It's all small stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's all Mm -hmm. small stuff.
1: Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's true. (laughs) I think that mm-hmm. needs explanation. <laughs> Not I think at all. <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah, it's easy to game.
2: add on and add on and add on. I was going to mention one more thing. Yeah, that I, I listened to an interview with a uh, somebody who had invented the we croak app. Familiar with no. this? No, no. So it's a, it's called the we Croak app, <laughs> um, and five times a day it notifies you that you're going to die at some <laughs> point. Right? It reminds you that you will die. Right. Oh, yeah, and. Obviously, the first you know for the most for most of us, including me, you know the knee jerk response is, "Well, that's really damn morbid." (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I knew that, but you know now I'm going to remind myself five times a day. Right. And there is there is something I think uh, in some of the Eastern traditions about five times a day, but that it is part of even Judeo Christian uh, practices about you know being uh, acknowledging you know the death and acknowledging that we're going there for various reasons within any particular religion or or um, culture even. But in the mindfulness context, uh, he was explaining that, you know, the more you are reminding yourself that you will die, the more you not only feel more comforted and less fearful of death, but more importantly, that you recognize that you are alive. Yeah. Right? That and sometimes that's as simple as it needs to be, right? Yeah. I'm not dead.
0: Right. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay. I yeah. got another chance. That's, that's another right. Another opportunity. To, you know, not sweat the small stuff. Right. You know? Yeah. Okay, here it we go.
0: It is I'm
1: not stuff. dead. I'm yep.
2: alive. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and in that light, then you can have a choice to ha- how you want to show up in the life. Right. Yeah. 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 Because I think we forget about it and get a little frivolous.
0: You're reminding me of that picture I saw in a National Geographic of the Voyager uh, satellite that went out. And it took a picture after it left our galaxy whatever, it took a picture of the Earth and it was just this teeny tiny dot, like you yeah. couldn't barely even see it.
2: They're so insignificant. Yeah, they're so <laughs> insignificant. Yeah, and yet things can be significant. Yeah, and, but that's the awareness that okay, in that moment, right, it's significant, right. Or not significant. It's zooming but in. It's not zooming us, out. right, right. And that's that's the awareness of awareness, right. mindfulness.
1: So, where can people find you?
2: Um, we are right down down to the next town below you guys in Little Silver at uh, 180 White Road. And um, you can find us on, on our website at devidomedpedes.com. And uh, we are taking new patients. We just have to call and ask to, to register.
0: So, I'm so glad you agreed to come and talk to us. Well, yeah.
2: oh, this has been a pleasure yeah. and, uh, and, and humbling, too. So, thank you very much for having me.
1: Yeah. Thank You're you. Welcome. So we just finished this podcast with Dr. DeVito and we feel a very introspective, you know, it's, it was Good an work. introspective podcast and there's so much food for thought in this podcast and we encourage you to take a pen and paper out and maybe journal some ideas Maybe this is your direct opportunity to reach out to us and talk to us a little bit more about what came up for you, did something bubble up, did you have questions, did you have ideas you wanted to share? I think having
0: listened to this podcast, you can't help but think a little bit differently about your health. So it this is an opportunity to maybe make a shift. Happy 2020. Happy
1: 2020 thanks for listening. Keep the conversation going at nourishcoaches.com and stay tuned for more Nourish Noshes as we continue our quest to make the world a healthier place.